We raised over a billion and a half dollars, or, you know, one, almost two billion. Nobody gave us money to put it in a bank account. Uh, every, every investor, they looked at what we were going to invest over the following years, and they said, I want that. Welcome to Deconstruct, a podcast by The Real Deal. I'm Isabella Farr. I'm Susanna Cavanaugh, and today we are shaking things up a little bit. We're pulling together a few of our reporters to talk about Compass. I think it's safe to say that the residential brokerage has had its fair share of press coverage over the last six months between layoffs, their stock price dropping exponentially, huge quarterly losses. It's really been a whirlwind. Yes. And the turmoil comes as mortgage rates have really chilled home buying. Last week, the Mortgage Bankers Association's latest numbers show that mortgage applications are down 70% year over year. Refinancing applications are down even more. And other residential firms, not necessarily just brokerages, are making shifts too to adapt to this huge shift in the market. Redfin has announced it's shutting down its iBuying business, and we talked a little bit last week about how Opendoor lost nearly a billion dollars in the third quarter and is now racing to sell off homes. As we mentioned last week also, it's not just the housing market, obviously, that is feeling the impacts of rising interest rates. So many commercial investors are anticipating a wave of distress, with some forming new ventures and funds to capitalize on that. Barry Sternlicht, he's the head of Starwood Capital, is one of those investors. He said recently on Bloomberg, There'll be incredible opportunities. I think what, what we're looking to do is pick through the debris and find the companies and the investments, in our case, and mostly in real estate, that uh, they're broken balance sheets, but not broken assets. And we're seeing losses across the commercial sector already, not necessarily distress, but companies, you know, struggling to grapple with the state of the office market. WeWork, a co-working firm, lost about $629 million in the third quarter, which sounds bad. It is a very slight improvement from the $635 million it lost the prior period. The firm is really striving to cut costs. It's shutting down 40 locations. It's extending some of its short-term debt. But CEO Sandeep Mathrani said the firm will not be profitable until at least the tail end of 2023. Yeah, that's a far ways to go. Definitely. Also last week, Greenland, a Chinese developer, sold one of its trophy assets in L.A. for $504 million, which was a record sale for an apartment building in L.A. But the firm had spent about $715 million actually building the apartment tower. So they sold it a huge loss. And if they had closed that deal a couple of years earlier, the loss may have not been so bad. Mm. Speaking of L.A., what is going on with the mayor's race there? I know we were waiting to find out who'd been elected. Is that still the case? Yeah. So votes are still being counted. Some experts are saying it might not be kind of finalized for another week. But it is incredibly close. Rick Caruso, who is a very prominent developer in L.A., is up against Congresswoman Karen Bass. And it's about 50-50 at this point. It's kind of fluctuating between 51 and 50 and 49. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Anxiety. Yeah, exactly. It does seem like voters in L.A. are set to pass what's known as a mansion tax. Basically, any properties that sell for between 5 and $10 million would be subject to a 4% transfer tax and anything that sells for more than that would be would face a 5.5% tax. 
Okay. So where do we think that revenue is going to go? To affordable homeless housing and housing assistance programs. The city estimates that that tax would create up to $1.1 billion in additional revenue a year. And it applies to commercial properties, too, which is interesting. It's not just residential. So landlords, realtors, and other business groups are really not happy about it and have argued that the taxes will ultimately be passed down to tenants and consumers. Others have pointed to the fact that the city has never been very good at distributing cash for homeless housing and affordable housing. So we're watching very closely. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And in New York, Kathy Hochul won the race for governor. Yes, she did. So she was up against Lee Zeldin, a conservative Republican. And it was a close race heading into things. Definitely got tighter over the past few weeks. The final result was the closest since 1994 when Pataki beat Mario Cuomo. Hochul has said that she will advocate for the real estate industry, but we're going to have to wait and see what she actually does. So she's proposed a replacement for 421A, which is the property tax break that allows multifamily development since it expired this past summer. We really haven't seen any of those projects go through unless they're heavily subsidized by the government. She has proposed another measure to build more housing, but specifics on that haven't come out yet. But she did have the support of some of the city's largest developers. So Vernado Realty Trust, Steve Roth, Extile Developments, Gary Barnett, and both Stephen Ross and Jeff Blau at related companies, just to name a few of them. So those are, you know, big developers who supported Hochul. But you had a story last month about how smaller landlords had turned to Zeldin in the lead up to the election. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So last month, about, I'd say, 200 mom and pop landlords gathered outside Kathy Hochul's office to demand that she do something about the emergency rent relief program. If you followed this at all, you know there are a bunch of issues that are all tangled up together. But In a nutshell, these owners are frustrated because the program gives tenants protection from eviction while their application is pending. But there really isn't any more money to pay tenants out at the moment. So those applications are essentially sitting in purgatory and landlords are still shouldering their tenants growing arrears. So they are pissed, to put it lightly. The state also has the power to shut the portal down so no more applications could go through, no more tenants could get eviction protection. These owners were hopeful that Zeldin would do that for them, but now they're going to have to bank on Hochul. Yeah, you know, I'm sure everyone's interested to see how Hochul works with landlords and other real estate developers, and particularly whether she can figure out a way to replace 421A. This podcast is sponsored by Dotted, the asset optimization platform with a white glove approach that helps you succeed and save time. We onboard all your asset data for you, and you get a dedicated customer success rep so you can focus on what you do best and get the help you need when you need it. Get your white glove experience today by getting a demo at dotted.com, D-O-T-T-I-D.com. So last week was a very busy week for Compass, and we have two of our residential reporters, Harrison Connery and Catherine Collurgis, here today with us. But first off... A little earnings recap. The company reported a net loss of $154 million in the third quarter, up from $101 million in the second. Its revenues were down 14% year over year to $1.49 billion. Harrison, can you give us some background on the brokerage and what exactly has happened over the last year? Compass for, I think, you know, its entire history up until this year was in growth mode. They were founded in 2012. And, you know, in 2021, they were, you know, the top real estate brokerage by volume, according to, to real trends across the entire country. You've gone from being a, a new company in 2012 to 
being the number one brokerage 10 years later. I mean, that's tremendous growth. What happened this year was the market really, you know, started to, to go into a downturn late spring, early summer, as the Federal Reserve started uh, raising interest rates, which in turn usually caused mortgage rates to go up. So Compass, for the first time, started to kind of, you know, retrench. It, it laid off, I think, about 800 uh, tech workers or people, you know, who, who are in the tech side of the business, uh, according to, to Robert Refkin. It's always reported losses, but, you know, quarter two, it reported that net loss of $101 million. Uh, this past quarter, it's net loss of $154 million. At the same time, uh, you know, SoftBank has gotten into some financial troubles. So, you know, SoftBank, which was, you know, one of its major backers, I think its, you know, biggest backer, uh, has been pulling back and saying, you know, we, we can't just keep giving you blank checks, so to speak. At the same time as the market's you know, entering a, a downturn, Compass is under you know, more pressure than it, it was before to, to show that it can be profitable. You just mentioned how they laid off some of their tech employees. What, what is this focus on technology and what exactly is their tech platform? You know, they've been building this tech platform that, you know, they, they say is, you know, second to none in the industry. And I mean, to be fair, it does appear to be very robust. Um, you know, I don't know if I can say Second to none, it's certainly the best that I've seen. And it costs about $900 million to make, uh, and they say it's just about all ready. So that's you know something that some of the executives have been pointing to. They said, look, one of the reasons we haven't been profitable is because we've been spending all this money on our tech platform. You know, that's over now. So you know, that's money that that we won't won't have to spend and you know it allows our, our brokers to to make more money the tech platform i mean it allows a broker to essentially communicate with the client uh from start to finish of a transaction uh, without ever leaving the the platform you can go through compliance you know which is a big deal uh, it can be very annoying for a broker to have a transaction go through through compliance um it, you can do that right on the platform with just a few clicks um, you can stay in touch with your your clients, you know, in perpetuity without uh, leaving the platform. You, you can send them reminders about their their house, like home maintenance reminders. So you know you're still popping up in their inbox years after they bought the place. And then you know Compass is going to go the open door route and uh, the route of some prop tech companies by trying to integrate its title, mortgage, and escrow services into that CRM. If they can attach those services onto home sales, you could potentially double the revenue on any transaction, except you'll be keeping 80 to 90% of that money, as opposed to 20 to 25% of the money from the sale. They're excited about that. They, they think you know that'll be a huge difference maker once they get that up and running. They haven't given a time frame. Um, I think during the earnings call yesterday, uh, you know, they said, we're in the process of integrating title and escrow into our technology platform in Southern California. So it is something they're working on as we speak. Catherine, I wanted to switch over to you for a second. Compass is not the only brokerage that is struggling right now. There are so many residential mortgage and prop tech companies that have reported huge losses because of macroeconomic factors. I mean, so what's been going on this year, like it's not, you know, in terms of losses, it's not unique to Compass. I think what's interesting is that Compass, you know, had spend so much money and now they're under pressure. But across the board, residential brokerages have been dealing with like major year over year declines. Home price growth is slowing or, you know, going down. Transaction volume is down. So, I mean, that's a result of the Fed raising rates. And just the fact that like what happened last year is not was not sustainable, was not going to continue forever. Like the party had to kind of end at some point. You know, we heard from some of our some top like brokers in the industry from, you know, Ryan Serhant, Pam Liebman, Mauricio Romanski from the agency yesterday at the Real Deals event. And, you know, they talked a lot about how this is why like it's so important to have real estate agents who are experienced and who know what's going on. And they talked about like 
you know, the death of eye buying because, you know, Redfin recently shut down its eye buying operation. And, and there's been a lot of that happening just over the past year. Even Mauricio from the agency said, like, you know, we're absolutely in a recession. So, I mean, it's like 2021 is over and it's kind of like, how do they move forward right now? What is in store for the next six months, year, two years? And, and Sir Hant said, he also said like that the quote unquote real pain hasn't hit yet. So I'm, I'm wondering like what exactly that will be, you know, like how low will it go? And the other thing too, another like theme from the panel was um, price reductions and how it's kind of a difficult conversation to have with sellers, especially because maybe they were the buyers of the properties last year. And so they paid these record prices, but they probably can't sell them for that or more. So that is interesting too. I think that like pricing, pricing has to fall to make up for the fact that like rates have gone up so much. Yeah, we had Ryan Sirhant on the podcast a couple of months ago, and he echoed the same sentiment back then, that 2021 was a record year and there had to be some sort of normalization. On Compass's earnings call, CEO Robert Refkin had a pretty pessimistic view of the economy and said he would be running his business accordingly. Market conditions are continuing to deteriorate, and as a result, we will be implementing additional cost reduction initiatives to get ahead of any future market declines. We are seeing industry forecasts of plus 1% to negative 23% for the full year 2023. We have been planning for a significant double-digit decline. While we do not believe the market will go down 25% next year, we are not waiting and have already begun to build a plan to account for a decline of this magnitude. And speaking of Refkin, he also spoke on his own panel at the Real Deals Miami event last week, actually just a couple of hours before the Compass earnings call. We played a snippet of this at the beginning of the episode, but Catherine, you were there. What stood out to you from his talk? He basically said... So I have voting control of the company. In order, in the process of going public, I, I did that under the condition that I vote in control of the company. Um, and... Uh, I would I would never sell the company. No company has ever. I've never talked to any company about buying Compass. No company has ever approached us about buying Compass. I'm a public company CEO. I can't say that without getting a lot of trouble. There was a report that a private equity firm was going to buy them. They denied that. But he also was very clear, like about the distinction between him selling the company and the company being sold potentially. Um, and I'm not saying that at all that the company is being sold, but. At the end, our um, publisher, Amir Karangi, said... But I just want you guys to... The three promises that Robert made tonight. Your commissions at Compass, no matter what happens, they're safe. And Compass is 100% definitely not ever being sold. Is that, is that what you said? I said I would never sell this company. You would never sell it. Okay. So it was a little different. And the other thing, too, is you know the Compass following is very big. And I don't know... If I think probably our listeners are aware of this. Like you can see it in social media comments. Um, but every time he spoke, you know, he had a, there was a group of people cheering. I recognize that people put their hard work, their effort, their money into this company. I take that seriously. And I am all in with them. Like at, <laughs> I put eight, every dollar that I have as a family, $17 million, we invested in the IPO because I believe in this company we're going to build together. It, it, 
And he joked that they weren't paid actors. And, you know, I don't think that they were paid actors. I mean, I recognize some of them, they were Compass agents. But you can just tell that, like, culture is still very much a part of the company. Has Compass given some sort of profitability timeline? So they said during the earnings call, they're aiming to be cash flow positive by the second quarter of 2023, um, which which doesn't mean profitable uh, overall, but it does mean you're bringing in more money than than you know you're you're spending in that quarter. Got it. And in terms of its cash position, the company is obviously spending a lot, but does it still have cash on hand? They do have a, a lot of cash on hand. However, they've been burning more and more cash each quarter. They burned seventy six million dollars uh, in quarter three. That's up from forty five million in quarter two. But they still have plenty of cash in the bank, and they have three hundred million dollar revolver. Uh, so they do have you know access to to roughly six hundred million dollars. I think it's important to note that you know Compass is not going to run out of cash. Uh, you know <laughs> this hardly ever happens that a company of that size runs out of cash. So um, I don't think anybody is is talking about that being a possibility. And how has Wall Street responded to the earnings call? How is its stock doing? I think it's important to note that the stock jumped way up after the earnings call. So it, it opened trading at $2.20 uh, this morning, uh, and it jumped all the way up to over $4. And it's down a little bit from that that peak. Uh, who knows what will happen uh, moving forward? Um, I mean, that's a significant jump. And I was able to talk uh, with someone at the company uh, right before we hopped on this call. They think um, specifically... The you know what was in the earnings that that drove that bump was the fact that they continued to gain uh, market share in quarter three, uh, and that their their guidance was in range, and you know their their revenue year over year is going to be roughly flat with last year if the quarter plays out as as predicted. You know they they say that's a big deal because last year was such a hot market, and obviously this year is not. So to be able to be within the ballpark of where you were last year is is an accomplishment, uh, and they think you know the in investors are recognizing that. So along the lines of my question about cash earlier, our publisher got the opportunity to ask Robert Rafkin. Here's a question a lot of people want to know and a lot of people ask me to ask you. If for some reason uh, Compass folds tomorrow, what happens to the commissions of the agents who are with the firm? You have 30,000 firms. There's a lot of outstanding commissions. What happens in that? Uh, in I, I, I wouldn't even honor that question. There's no scenario that I'm going to let this company fold. That's not happening. <laughs> it, but, but just, uh, it, just it, uh, give us we, a we, hypothetical. We, we, have, we had, at the last earnings call, I shared that we had $431 million of cash on our balance sheet, or cash, plus access to another $300 million of available credit. That's over uh, 700 million. Do you think mil- that the Barclays will still honor that the line of credit, even with where the stock is right now? That, that's over $700 million available cash. Um, and we have virtually no debt. There's the Compass Concierge Credit Facility. But other than that, no debt. Deconstruct airs every Monday wherever you get your podcasts, so subscribe now. Next week, we're talking to Josh Zegan at Madison Realty Capital about what's happening with lending right now. Tune in then.